Wouldn't you think that when you buy a chocolate, you just get that chocolate? No. Sadly, we live in a society that literally makes no sense. Instead, we have a chocolate company making transgender chocolate, lesbian, and gay chocolate. We also have Joe Biden releasing a statement on the documents that were found at his Pennsylvania property, and of course, he is acting like he knew nothing about it. We also have Fisher Price recalling a BB rocker after it killed 100 babies, and frankly, too little, too late. All of that and more on today's episode. My name is Demetri Cerujo, and you're watching The Demetri Cerujo Show. I got facts over facts over tracks, this and that, spitting slow, spitting fast. I could roast, I could gas, think I'm okay at last, but I don't know if that can erase all the past. Starting off, we have M&Ms are now representing everyone with this new rebranding. With this comes a transgender, a gay one, and of course, a lesbian piece of candy. Now, this is actually a couple years old already because this part of the news is a little bit old, but what we're going to be talking about relates to this. Um, because this story, what we have here, is the oh-so-sweet history of gay M&Ms. Now, Mars Incorporated still refuses to say whether the green and the brown M&Ms are chronically queer to gay Twitter. It hardly matters. They're two ladies in love. If you look at M&M's chocolate in 2015 on June 28, they actually posted this picture and it says, it's rare Miss Brown and I get to spend time together without some colorful characters bringing in, barging in, Miss Green. So apparently Miss Green, the green M&M is trans and um, in this green M&M candy came a long way. Because when, when the green M&M first came out in the, first, in the way back commercials, it was a guy. Now it's a girl. So it's a transgender chocolate. And it's actually funny because as we're going to be talking about, how does this relate to today? Well, I'll tell you. A few days ago, they decided to launch a woman-only bag of candy. And this said bag comes in a variety of different kinds of chocolate, like white and dark chocolate. But they also have this variation of M&Ms with nuts in the middle. But that's quite funny because this is a woman-only candy bag. Here, they are saying that some women have nuts. And that is as correct as I could put it myself. So this bag of candy that they released, they say supporting women flipping the status quo upside down. So then we see a bunch of these figures all upside down. So it's just um, it's it's just uh, frankly really funny. They have the, the they have the nuts in the middle, and they teamed up with this LGBTQ company to do this. So it's just it's just a lot. And then they come out with the purple color. And then they the um, ad all about this purple color is about being you and being the real you. So I don't know what Eminem's really means by being the real you. But if this is a power, a woman empowerment or an empowerment program that they're trying to do, of course, a candy company would want you to feel empowered while eating its candy. Because you're not going to sit here and worry about the long-term side effects of you being obese by sitting here eating 18 grams of sugar per serving of this candy. Now, with that being said, we're going to be moving into the doesn't take segment. Moving on to the doesn't take segment, we actually have our first article, the CNN article. We have Biden says that he was surprised to find to learn government records, including classified documents, were taken to his private office. Oh my God, what? You had no clue about this? Oh, oh my God, wait a second. We don't believe that for a second. We don't believe that for a minute, a second, a millisecond. We don't believe that. You have Vice President 
seven years ago. You took this document to your private property. Like I said, during the Trump investigation for this, it is perfectly reasonable for you to take your work home at the end of the day. But for you to leave it there, not take it back to work the very next day, is you being irresponsible with the documents. You should not leave the documents at your facility. Even though it is in a locked area of your property, it's it's a little bit better because it's in a locked cabinet. But like I said the last time, this is a lot better than what Hillary Clinton did with the servers. If you're having a piece of paper and you lock it behind a safe with Secret Service constantly at your property, it has nothing that, that's not going to get into the enemy's hands. Trust me. But if you have an, a server open to other countries, foreign intelligence, and they hack into your server and they find a bunch of documents and it actually gets army citizens or army soldiers killed because of this action, you're held responsible. And then you go and leech bit the whole entire server to make sure that nobody can find out what you actually did. That's lying. That's lying under oath. That's lying under Congress. That's that's objection of justice because you're trying to cover up what you did. It's like a killer washing his hands after the crime, washing everything around it so nobody can find out who did the killing. Now, you can't break the law and then just say, oops, well, I cleaned my hands and it, it wasn't me. Moving on to the next article, we actually have Lynette Hardaway of pro-life duo Diamond Silk has passed away. Now, this is actually very sad because I used to really support them. Um, and of course, of course, it's, it's always sad when somebody dies, but it's of course, it's more sad when you when you got to know those people. And I actually don't know exactly how they die. So let's let's read it in the, to this article. The official Diamond and Silk Facebook account announced the death in a post on Monday. And similar announcements were posted to the pair of the pair's official Instagram and Twitter accounts. No additional details on the death was provided. Hardaway, known as Diamond, was 51 at the time of her death, according to the New York Times. The world just lost a true angel and a warrior patriot of freedom, love, and humanity. Diamond blazed a trail founded on her passion and love for the entire race of humanity. It is in this time of grief, please respect our privacy of Diamond's family and please remember to celebrate the gift that she all gave us. Memorial Cemetery, Memorial Cemetery, Memorial Ceremony to be announced soon. The duo's Facebook post read, Hardaway along with her sister Rochelle Silk Richardson drew national attention as starch conservative media personalities and backers of Trump Trump is not a racist. Hardaway insisted in a 2018 appearance on Fox and Friends. He is a realist. And the only color he sees is green. And that's what you have. And he wants you to have the money. Former president announced Hardaway's death on his Truth, Truth Social platform Monday night, writing that it was, a quote, really bad news for Republicans and, frankly, all Americans. Hardaway died at her home in North Carolina. And Richardson was with her all the way and at her passing. Trump said. The former president often met with the pairs with his own shouting out them out at times during his presidential campaign trails in 2016 and inviting them to his inauguration in 2017. They become fixtures around the Trump White House attending Black History Month event there in 2020. The pair leveraged their relationship with Trump into hosting their own show on Fox's streaming service, Fox Nation, shortly after it launched in 2018, but Fox decided to part ways 
with the two women in April 2020 after they have made a series of false or misleading statements about how to combat COVID-19. Okay, Fox, I'm very disappointed in you. You literally canceled and canned these people just because they were spreading something that wasn't the mainstream narrative of the time, Fox. Come on. The Daily Wire should take them in, or they should have took them in at the time. Moving into the next article, we actually have an MSNBC article. It's this one. Biden isn't on the same planet as Trump when it comes to um, classified docs. We're all waiting to see if Justice Department Special Counsel Jack Smith brings charges against Trump related to classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. But whatever happens there, don't be fooled into thinking that the President Joe Biden faces the same legal danger of records found at his think tank in November. As CBC, CBS News first reported on Monday, Biden's personal attorneys found roughly 10 documents from his vice presidency while cleaning out an office at Pennsylvania Biden Center of Diplomacy and Global Encouragement in Washington. The White House's consul office told the National Archives about the documents, which were discovered in a locked closet later that day, according to the White House. Richard Solberg, special consul to the president, said in a statement, the documents were not in the subject of any previous request or inquiry of the archives. Since the discovery, the president's personal attorneys have cooperated with the archives and the Department of Justice in a process to ensure that any Obama-Biden administration records are appropriately in the possession of the archives. Republicans naturally seized on the news with trademark whataboutism, but as my colleague Steve Bienen pointed out, it's clearly insane to liken the Biden story to the Trump mess. Actually, it is not insane to, to compare the same two. I'm standing on my principle. You're not standing on your principle because you threw your principle out the window years ago. You, MSNBC, CNN, and NPR have no principles at whatsoever. So if you are sitting here trying to point out anything and saying that it is clearly, quote, insane to relate the two, it is not insane to relate the two. One person had classified documents inside of their personal house, and then another person had another classified documents inside of their personal office. It's the same exact thing. The only difference is that you hate orange man, but you love Uncle Joe. That's the only difference here. The clear and, and, and obvious difference is those two things. You have a clear bias against Trump and you have a clear bias for Biden. That's the two differences and you will not admit this because this makes your whole entire media network fall apart. Moving on to the next article from MSNBC, we actually have Kevin McCarthy should get used to this feeling. Hmm. It's, it is his quest to become speaker. Speaker McCarthy made himself permanent hostage to the what to the House Freedom Caucus. Well, yeah, because he needed their votes. Like I, I just don't know what you're saying here. If you don't have the votes, then you need a compromise. That's the point of the Senate and Congress. If you don't have the votes to pass a bill, you need to get the votes. If you need to make compromises, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, I just don't understand what you think this is. Update, January 7th, 2023. This piece has been updated to reflect Co Republican Kevin McCarthy finally becoming House Speaker early Saturday morning after 14 failed ballots and a dramatic final round. Kevin McCarthy should get used to this feeling. The California Republican spent Thursdays li living through his third day in a row, failing to become House Speaker on ballot after ballot. And between humiliations, it's not even humiliations. 
you're sitting here making compromises for yourself to get in. It's not a humiliation. That's well, how humiliating. We have our senators actually working. Oh my God. Kevin McCarthy should get used to this feeling, they say. As of Friday afternoon, when the House prepared for a history-making 12th vote, oh, so embarrassing, McCarthy still haven't, hasn't found enough backing to get the majority he needed. In the process of doing so, he offered up enough concessions to fundamentally alter the power structure of the 118th Congress, managing to peel off several handouts holdouts in the process. In doing so, he prepared to make himself a permanent hostage to the extreme members of the party. Anyone that is more right-wing than Hillary Clinton is extreme to you guys. These people of the Freedom Caucus are not even that extreme. They're not. All they wanted was to make sure that they had the laws in place that they've always had since the beginning of the speakership. If they do not like what you're doing, they should have the right to pull you out. That's all they wanted. But, of course, Nancy Pelosi took this out when she was Speaker of the House. So now, McCarthy didn't want this because he's like, no, if, 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 if Pelosi didn't have this, why should I have this? And then the Freedom Caucus said, I don't care what you think. If you're not going to do this, then I'm not going to vote for you. And that's how it should be. You need to concede. You need to actually sit here and say, okay, I will do what you say. I will, I will, I will work for you guys because you're the ones voting me in. It's not the other way around. The list of demands from the block that has stood in McCarthy's way and lengthy, but most of have less to do with his specific policy items than the way the House itself functions. Even before the first ballot was cast on Tuesday, the incoming GOP majority agreed to alter the House rules to block any bill that increased spending that budget year, establish subcommittees to investigate the origins of COVID in the weaponization of the federal government, and require that January 6th committee's documents be redirected from the National Archives to the House Administration Committee. But the naysayers wanted more. They seemed likely to get it. Did the determinant of the speakership broadly in McCarthy very, very specifically. One of the pro proposed changes that had gotten the most attention would make it easier to oust a speaker. McCarthy had already agreed to lower the threshold for a motion to vacate the chair to just five members, despite claiming that he wouldn't budge on dropping that bar further. McCarthy had reportedly caved. Now, any single member would be able to put forward a resolution calling for his ouster. Some of the demands from his holdouts that sound the most reasonable deal with the way the House passes bills. It's been many, many years since the House act actually managed to pass the 12 standalone appropriation bills that instead get warped into a massive ominous spending bill. McCarthy has now reportedly agreed that over the next two years, each of these bills will get their own vote, and that amendments will be allowed from any lawmaker as those bills are debated on the House floor. And I completely agree with this. Now, it's funny that MSNBC sits here and, and accepts the fact that this is a massive ominous spending bill that we have been passing. $2 trillion, $3 trillion, $5 trillion more. We keep spending these ominous spending bills, and they keep saying massive ominous spending bill. But then when we pass a bill, they're like, oh, this is the greatest thing we ever had since sliced bread. Listen, it's not the greatest thing that we had since sliced bread, because that sliced bread that you're trying to eat right now is going to pay $20. Like, it's just insane.
To understand why this is such a big deal, we have to talk about one of the most consequential, consequential demands from the ballots. More seats from the far right members on the House co Rules Committee, like I said, anybody more right than Hillary Clinton is far right, despite its extremely bland name. All major legislation that reaches the House floor for a vote flows through the Rules Committee. Because of how, mu how much the House has on its agenda, and it relies on special rules to fast-track bills to its forefront, most often setting limits on how long the debate can last and how many amendments can be offered. The Rules Committee has been an extension of the House Speaker's power for decades now, with the majority holding nine seats and the minority only getting four. The House Freedom Caucus, which has been a thorn in the side of multiple GOP leaders now, has been insisting that three of its members sit on the committee, even enough to block any legislation if they join Democrats in voting against it. Based on NBC's News' reporting on Friday afternoon, McCarthy has agreed to give them those seats. So that's good, because of the fact that they are sworn in from the members that voted them in. These rep members... House of Representatives were voted in by their local officials, by their local citizens. So they know what their citizens want. So if their citizens don't want them to pass a bill, then they're going to sit there and, and obstruct the bill because they are doing what the citizens that voted them in want to do. And that should be that way. Biden, moving into the next article, we actually have an MPC article. I mean, an NPR article. Biden says that he was surprised to learn classified documents were found at his old office. Well, of course he would. President Biden says that he was surprised when his staff told him that classified documents has been discovered at his Pennsylvania Biden Center, a think tank in Washington, D.C. He also said he's not sure what they contain. Of course, because he forgot what he had for breakfast this morning. Why would he remember what he left in his office seven years ago? Biden said that the documents were found in a box in a locked closet in the think tank and were turned over to the National Archives as soon as they were discovered by his personal attorneys on November 2nd. But November 2nd is before the midterm election. Why didn't this come out? Because they, they don't release any information that is damaging to their politicians. On November 8th, which was only what, six days later after this, people had enough time to vote accordingly. People know I take docu classified documents and classified information seriously, Biden said. So seriously, you forgot it for seven years. According to a statement from Richard Selber, the special counsel to the president, in November, the president's personal attorneys discovered classified documents among what appear to be Obama-era records. When the current president was vice president, the archives collected documents the morning after they were discovered, and the matter is under review by the Justice Department. Selber said in a statement that the documents were not subject of any previous requests or inquiry by the archives in that Biden's attorneys have been cooperating, cooperating with the DOJ and National Archives to ensure all Obama-Biden administration records are, quote, appropriately in the possession, possession of the archives. Sober said Biden periodically used this office space at the center from mid-2017 until the beginning of his 2020 campaign. A source familiar with the inquiry told NPR's Kerry Johnson, that United States Attorney General Merrick Garland has had tasked Trump-era United States Attorney John Lawrence Jr. in Chicago with reviewing the matter.
Just the Justice Department declined to comment. Why is this different from the documents seized at Mar-a-Lago? Well, it is different because, like I said, one has a D next to their name and one has an R next to their name. That's the only difference here. Because you don't want to talk about the real and in, in clear differences between the two because there is none. They're both classified documents, so whatever you say is not on any fair or level playing field. Now, without further ado, we're going to move into the next NPR article. Biden in Mexico, Mexico's Lopez Orbiter finds common cause on migration after Iraqi start. Mexico City. The, Mexican, the Mexico's president, Andres Michelle Lopez's orbiter, may have been out of the last war out of the last world leaders to congratulate President Biden when he took office. But two days of talks have helped lead the to a U-turn in what was at first an uneasy relationship. The leaders found common ground on migration, economic integration, and fentanyl interdiction. Lopez Orbiter, who is known for being resilient, ended their meetings with nothing but praise for Biden particularly on issues surrounding migration across the borders separating their countries. See, this would actually be a really funny um, like interview. If they had an interview together, they would be like, Joe Biden would be over here like whispering like, ah, uh, the, uh, the, the border, the uh, corn pop, and uh, you, you like uh, chocolate, chocolate chip. And then over here, we have the Mexican president, and then, they're, they're just like trying to talk to each other and then the facial expressions that they would both make because they would both have no idea what they're talking about once talking in mexican it would be so funny uh, they should actually release this uh, this um interview because i would react to it um you are the first president in the united states in a very long time who has not built even one meter of wall we thank you sir for that why what, you're thanking him for not building a wall yeah of course no you know what i'm not gonna ask why i know exactly the answer you don't want him to build a wall because you want to send all of your criminals over the border. They're not sending in the best, as Trump said. They're not sending in their best. They're not sending in their scholars. They're not sending in... No, they're sending in their druggies. They're sending in their drug addicts. They're sending in their um, fentanyl. They're sending in all of these bad things to America so Mexico doesn't have to deal with it. And then over here, the president's thinking, oh, thank you so much, sir. We we really appreciate you not putting up that wall over there because we would like to get rid of our, our cartels. Thank you very much. We would not want them in, in Mexico. But, you know, the United States can take it. The United States can take it. No, no, not enough. Not enough burritos in the world would ever make me get your cartels that are dangerous and killing people and raping people on the on the way to the border of the United States and Mexico. No. No, 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 no. And that is a big no for me. Moving into the next article from Fox News, we actually have Biden surprised to learn of classified documents at Pennsylvania think tank. I don't know what's in them. Of course he doesn't because he doesn't remember, like I said, what he had for breakfast this morning. Never mind what he left in his office seven years ago. This is according to Fox News. I like seeing all the different opinions. So yeah, this is the same story, but obviously from different news organizations. So, moving in, we have President Joe Biden addressed the matter of his classified documents that were re recovered from his private office at Pennsylvania Biden Center for the first time on Tuesday, saying that he was surprised to learn that they were there and they were fully cooperating with the Justice Department's review. Let me get rid of the easy one first. 
Biden began his response to a slew of reporter questions at the National, the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City. People know I take classified documents and classified information seriously. Biden said his personal attorneys found the classified documents as they were cleaning his office. They did not. They did what they should have done. They immediately called the National Archives, turned them over to the archives, and I was briefed about the discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to the office, the president added. But I don't know what's in the documents. My lawyers have not suggested. I asked what the just... Wait, my my lawyers have not suggested I asked where what documents they were. So they didn't want to tell him what documents were in there because they, he didn't want they didn't want him talking to the media and t- saying, "Oh yeah, I had nuclear codes in there. Oops, my bad. I'm so sorry about that." No, his lawyers are like, "Shut up about this situation. Apologize, but don't tell them what the hell you had in there." That's what his lawyers probably told him. Now, moving into the next article from Fox News, we actually have Texas announces record budget surplus nearly $33 billion. Unprecedented. It is unprecedented. And you know what they're going to do with this money? They're going to hand it right over to, they're going to hand this right over to California because California is actually short money. They're short $22 billion. So of course we're going to, we're going to have a little bit of money left over, but probably not that much. State composer Jen Glenn Hagar said in a statement, we cannot and we will not lose sight of the fact that every tax dollar received by the state is coming out of Texans' pockets. But he also cast doubt whether on, on whether Texas will be able to repeat his, the blowout budgetary performance and urged lawmakers to be cautious in deciding what to do with the funds. Actually, they should just put, put it in a bank account. They, they should. Or they should split it in half. Refund the half amount to citizens and then put the other half into their bank account so they can save it for next year if they're a little bit over they don't have to ask the federal government for money bluntly don't count on me announcing any another big revenue jump two years from now the revenue increases that we have seen have been in many ways unprecedented and we cannot reasonably expect a repeat Higer said we are also unlikely to have an opportunity like this again. The budgeting season is truly once-in-a-lifetime season. The surplus includes $3.8 billion in revenue that was swapped for federal COVID relief funds used previously and $4.3 billion in education savings derived from an increase in real estate values that led to higher-than-expected revenues from property taxes. The state's two largest sources of tax revenue were the sales tax and the oil tax. Republican Governor Greg Abbott and other GOP officials in the executive branch and the state's legislature, the legislature, have been at odds with what to do with their windfall, with which lawmakers will be able to advocate for the 2024 to 2025 biennial budget cycle this year, later this year, when the expected surplus was closer to $27 billion during the re-election campaign. Abbott pledged to use half of the funds, $13.5 billion, to reducing property tax burdens on homeowners. He also he has also pushed for the state to take a bigger role in securing the border in the absence of action by the federal government. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has warned that the property tax cuts of the scale that could put the state of risk of exceeding its constitutional cap, cap on spending. 
and would rather use the funding for shoring up the state's electoral electrical grid and water system in addition to raising the homestead exemption to offer more limited property tax relief. House Speaker Dade Finn Flynn has called for infrastructure investments, including the expansion of broadband, broadband internet coverage and improving roads along the sustainable property tax relief that won't create physical, physical headaches in the future. Patrick and Fillon are members of the state's legislative budget board, which voted to allow roughly $12.5 billion in additional spending for the next budget cycle. The lawmakers wouldn't have to vote to override the determination if they want to spend more. For his part, Hager suggested that the lawmakers should consider tax reductions in infrastructure spending proposals that wouldn't create recurring demands on the state's general revenue that could become difficult to meet in the future if the physical outlook declines. By law, about 10.2% of the funding has to be set aside for the state's rainy day fund. Exactly what I was saying, known as the Economic Stabilization Fund and the state's highway fund, that figure out that figure would have been $4.5 billion higher, but the constitutional limit on the size of the ESF would be projected to be maxed out at the beginning of 2025. According to the latest, the latest budget estimates due to forecasted income from oil and gas taxes in the years ahead, the Pew Charitable Trust State Physical Health Project analyzing state's state rainy day funds and found in an October update based on physical year 2022 data in the Texas ESF was better funded than a median state's rainy day fund. Do projected the Texas government could run for 56.8 days on savings alone above the 50 state median of 42.5 days and could operate for 101.4 days, nearly two weeks longer than the nationwide median of 88.9 days. That's actually really good. And if they keep saving, then they could run more and more and more. And then maybe you could do a year of no taxes. Maybe. But you know, nobody wants to tax cut. They, nobody wants to cut taxes, I guess. We have Pete Judge flew on a taxpayer-funded jet for a day trip in New York City. Well, of course that he did. Of course he did. Because he would rather be taking vacation spots and taking a six-month maternity leave, even though he cannot even have a baby, but it's okay. He would rather take a six-month maternity leave rather than actually do anything while being the Secretary of Transportation. Listen. We have one objective for you guys today, and that is to explain one thing, not even one good thing or one bad thing, anything. What is one thing that Pete Buttigieg did while he was in the Department of Secretary's chair? Where, what did he do? The only thing that I know that he did was, ta was use taxpayer money in taxpayer funding to use that for vacation time with his husband. And the only other thing that we know about him is that he loves trains. Going on with the article, we have President Joe Biden's Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg reportedly flew on a taxpayer-funded jet from Washington, D.C. to New York City before returning to D.C. several hours later. According to a calendar obtained by Americans for a Public Trust, on April 7th, Peter Buttigieg flew on a government jet operated by the Federal Avi Aviation Administration, the FAA, from Ronald Reagan's Washington National Airport in Washington, D.C., to a small executive airport near New York City, according to an internal agency calendars obtained by America's Americans for a Public Trust, APT, 
and shared with Fox News Digital. Later that day, Buttigieg returned to Washington, D.C. on the same jet, a Cassino Citation 560XL, to attend a White House meeting. While in New York, Buttigieg held a 40-minute meeting with American Civil Liberties Union President Deborah Archer and a 20-minute meeting with Department of Transportation employees. Buttigieg also took an hour out of his schedule to conduct an interview with the host of the Breakfast Club radio program. Just one day after his trip to New York City, he traveled back to the city again, but this time on a commercial airline. During his second visit, Buttigieg attended a convention held by the L. Chaperon funded National Action Network and appeared on The View before returning to D.C. via train later that evening. A last-minute meeting at the White House interrupted Buttigieg's pre-planned two-day trip to New York City, according to a DOT spokesman. The agency spokesman also claimed that the $228 spent on the government-funded jet was the most cost-effective transportation, a DOT, DOT spokesperson told Fox News. Secretary Buttigieg seat on the FFA, FAA aircraft on April 7 cost 228 each way. Due to a late-notice schedule change, he had to travel back to Washington for a White House meeting, which fell during a previously planned two-day trip to New York. He used the department's aircraft to, dra to travel on April 7th because this was more efficient and less expensive than a last-minute airline ticket. Now, how do you have a meeting and you don't even know that the meeting exists until last minute? That's just an excuse on his part. The next day, he flew back to New York City on the American Airlines to resume his, plane, his planned appearances and meetings there. And then he used Amtrak to return that night to Washington. APT's reporting on Buttigieg's New York City trips comes days after they revealed the transportation secretary had used government-funded jets nearly 18 times since entering office. Of course, he would go on a private jet and he would use government funding to go on jets even though he's going to sit here and say that we should all ride bikes to work. Your jet just contributed more to the environment in your own words than our cars do on a daily basis. So what are you sitting here destroying the planet? How dare you, in, in Greta Thunberg's terms, how dare you destroy the planet and tell us to sit here and not use our car and use bicycles to get to work? Like, are you serious right now? As the self-described second biggest fan of real in administration, only behind the president, its laughable Secretary Buttigieg flew private to New York City to meet with the head of a liberal dark money group instead of taking Amtrak. He clearly thinks his time is more valuable than the taxpayers, who are left not only dealing with the fallout of his travel management, but are also left footing the bill for his taxpayer-funded jet. Despite a, a, admonishing, admonishing the American pub public to reduce their carbon footprint, Buttigieg is once again prioritizing his convenience over the environment, and that is according to Sutcherland. Energy Information Administration data from April shows the government-funded jet would have burned an estimated of $1,060 in fuel. When we're making a decision about what kind of aircraft to use, we weigh in a lot of things, Buttigieg said to Fox News last week. Climate impacts are one of the things that we consider. So is saving taxpayer money. Oh yeah, you care so much about saving taxpayers' money. You know, you know, stop lying. To yourself. Moving on to the next article, we actually have a Daily Wire article. We have Biden issues statement. If this would work, okay. We actually have Seattle Public School District sues Big Tech over mental health crisis among youth. 
Seattle Public School District officials filed uh, a lawsuit Friday against social media platform owners, including Facebook, TikTok, and others, who are allegedly intentionally cultivating and creating a mental health crisis among the youth, which is true. I actually deleted TikTok about a year ago, and I, my life has never been better since. Pantiffs filed the 91-page lawsuit in the United States District Court, arguing that the platforms, which also include Google, Snapchat, and YouTube, have caused a public nuisance affecting Seattle public schools, which I agree with. Nobody's paying attention even when I was in school. Nobody was paying attention to the teacher. Instead, we we're on our phones on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube just watching YouTube videos and not even listening to the teacher. Then my teacher actually came out and said that if I do catch on your, you on your phone, you're getting an F for the day. Moving on with the article, defendants have successfully exploited the vulnerable brains of the youth, hooking tens of millions of students across the country into positive feedback loops of excessive use and abuse of defendants' social media platforms. The lawsuit reads, force the content defendants curate and direct to youth is too often harmful and explosive. Such content the lawsuit alleges social media companies promote includes a corpus bright, bright diet, eating 300 calories a day, or an encouraging self-harm. Other mental health harms the lawsuit accuses big tech of cultivating among the youth include anxiety, cyberbullying, and suicide, of course, with MoMA. The lawsuit argues that students experiment, experiencing mental health issues per perform worse in school and are less likely to attend class while engaging in substance use, which directly affects Seattle Public Schools' ability to fulfill its educational mission. Seattle Public School District claims that approximately 30% of students reported feeling sad or hopeless or for more than two weeks between 2009 and 2019, which caused them to stop engaging in some typical activities. District officials further in argued in the lawsuit that the state's the state of children's mental health led to the American Academic Academy Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child Adolescent Fidelity, and Children's Hospital Association to declare a national emergency in the United States Surgeon General to issue an advisory to highlight the urgent need to address the nation's youth mental health crisis. President Joe Biden drew attention to social media platforms in his 2022 State of the Union Address, alleging that the harm social media has wrought on American youth should implore all to hold social media platforms accountable for the national experiment they're conducting on our child for profit. District Superintendent Brent Jones told the Daily Mail in a statement that it has become increasing, increasingly clear that many children are Burdened by mental health challenges, our students, our young and young people everywhere, face unprecedented, unprecedented learning and life struggles that are amplified by the negative impacts of increased screen time, unfiltered content, and potentially addictive properties of social media, Jones said. Other public social officials said, according to Insider Paper, they are holding social media companies accountable for the harm that they wrecked on social media emotional, and mental health of students. The increase in suicides, attempted suicides, and mental health-related emergency room visits is no coincidence, the statement said. Jose, Jose Carstaneta, a spokesperson for Google, which owns YouTube, told the Daily Mail the tech giant gives parents tools to limit screen time for their children and, pre to, and prevent certain types of content on their devices. 
We have invested heavily in creating a safe experiences for children across our platforms and have introduced strong protections and dedicated features to prioritize their well-being, Christianetta said. District officials said that they anticipate the def that defendants will raise Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which provides immunity from liability in certain cases as a shield of their for their conduct. However, the plaintiffs argue the law does not protect the defendants' own acts in designing, marketing, and operating social media platforms that are harmful to youth. Plaintiff is not alleging defendants are liable for what third parties have said on defendants' platforms, but rather the defendants' own conduct. The lawsuit reads, defendants affirmatively recommend and promote harmful content to youth, such as pro-anorexia and eating disorder content. And I completely agree with this. If you go on TikTok, you see all sorts of mental issues and mental illnesses like transgenderism and stuff like that. And they actively promote this. And actually, the president of the United States met with one of these people that have a mental health issue, and that is Dylan Mulvaney. The president of the United States met with one of the most popular TikTokers on the platform, Dylan Mulvaney, which is a transgender woman, which means a fake woman, a real man. And they were talking for quite a while with a bunch of other people in the stage itself. So that is a whole nother conversation for another day. And I think we actually did talk about this in a, um, before. But moving on with the next article, we actually have Fisher Price recalls rock and play sleepers again after seat now linked to over 100 baby deaths. Okay, listen. We don't even have to read the article, which we're going to read anyway because it's kind of a short article anyway. But one baby death is too much when it comes to baby rockers. No no babies should be dying from a baby rocker. You're going to put your baby there because you want them to fall asleep and you don't want to rock them yourself, which my dad used to do himself because they didn't have this invented when I was little, which would be good if it was invented, but it wasn't. But knowing that it killed over um, in, in 2019 alone, over 30 babies, which is crazy. Um, millions of Fisher Price rock and play sleeper infant seats are being recalled an additional time after the seats have now been connected to deaths over 100 babies. Around 4.7 million Fisher-Price rock-and-play sleepers were first recalled in 2019 after 30 babies have reportedly passed away. However, over 70 more deaths have been reported since they were originally recalled. Eight of those reportedly transpired after the recall was declared. In 2019, the American Society of Patriotics rushed for the United States Customer Co Product Safety Commission, CPSC, to take the baby sleeper off the market. The demands came with reference to a co consumer reports investigation that discovered 32 babies had died while in the baby seat since 2011, which included 10 since 2015, that were discussed in a Fisher-Price CPRSC safety alert oh, excuse me, released in 2019. I am thrilled that the United States Customer Product Safety Commission and Fisher Price took the advice of the American Acad Academy, Acad Academy of Pediatrics and issued a recall of the rock and play sleeper. Ben Hoffman, MD, chair of the AAP Council on Injury, Violence, and Poison Prevention, said at the time, this, project, this product is dangerous and I urge parents and caregivers to stop using it right away. As a pedi pediatrician, pediatrician, 
As a doctor and a father, I know that my inf that infant sleep is a major concern for families, and doctors are ready to work with as many parents as possible to find solutions to help everyone sleep safety, safely and soundly, Hofflin noted. We know that inclined sleepers like the rock and play are not safe and put babies' lives at risk. I am glad to see this product off the market and urge parents to talk to their doctors about how to keep their babies safe during sleep time in any time. Fisher Price told Customer Reports in a 2018 article about the investigation that they knew of around 32 deaths, but it did not think that any deaths have been caused by the product, pointing out that many situations where a medical slash health conditions was identified as the cause of death and or those in which the product was clearly used in a manner contrary to safety warnings and construction instructions. Well, you should hope so. You should hope that they're not sitting here saying and actively agreeing with the fact that these this baby rocker is actively killing your baby if you put it on. That would put a scare. Early last year, Consumer Reports re re reported that dozens of people who brought the sleeper were using Fisher-Price and, and parent company Mattel claiming that they were never notified about the recall. That's ridiculous. They should have been. It's common for companies to get low responses for recalls on items, but the situation was especially concerning. It's outrageous that millions of dangerous products, products could still be out there, with babies at risk of being seriously injured or killed. Orion Skin, Consumer Report Product Safety Privacy Council, said at the time Fisher Price had has had years to get rockin' plays out of people's homes, yet, at best, appears to have done the bare minimum. Slow and ineffective recalls can have terrible consequences, and parents deserve better from the company they rely on for safe baby and toddler products. I completely agree with this. Fisher Price is actually a baby brand, so you would expect a baby brand to have a baby safe product. That's the bare minimum. But with that being said, thank you all for watching. And that's going to be it for the rest of this week. Thank you all for watching. And I hope they have a great rest of your day. And I will see you guys on Tuesday. Hey, 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 hey. Were you really going to click off this video before leaving a like and subscribing down below? Wow, so rude.